down. Well, it's another week, day, month. Planet's still spinning. <laughs> On the Schaefer Shakedown. Um, I was awoken this morning by extremely loud thunder. Oh, yeah. Uh, it moved. Thunder in. Yeah. Did it's it hit it's you? currently here. It is. You, you might hear it. it. Jerry, you, oh. you will be revisited <laughs> by the thunder as it has moved eastward. Yeah. Yeah. Um, getting some monsoon mm-hmm. action, which we usually don't get, but once in a while uh, in the summer, we'll get a storm. But um, L.A. thunder is different than East Coast thunder. It's that big echoing boom that like you feel it. It's not like, um, I don't know. I think it's just the mountains and hills and valleys that the sound travels differently than it does Big old skies. when you live on the East Coast. Yeah. And um, we are, and it lasted for like three hours. I mean, it was still going at like 8.30 a.m. So it was like maybe even four hours. Um, we are dog sitting for uh, our landlords. They are traveling for like three and a half weeks. So we've got Charlie, who is just an angel. Sweet dude. He is so cute. Here he comes. Oh, he's coming. his name. Charlie. You're addressing me? Uh, I'm being addressed? He has to... He'll get up next to me when he's ready to come up. Oh, in heck my yeah. um, I eagerly await He's concerned about some construction... <laughs> he is concerned about some construction workers As right well now. So he's not be. ready to get up. Guard up. <laughs> but he would... Di- he didn't love the lightning no. uh, mm-hmm. and thunder. He... Um, we let him sleep in the bed with us. <laughs> We're spoiling him. And our bed is big enough where it's fine. And he's so tiny. I was going to say, is that spoiling? Um, That's happened every night of my dog's life. She sleeps under the covers (laughs) on a pillow. She sleeps wherever she wants. How how can they breathe? I don't understand it. Honestly, in winter. I don't understand. I don't get it. Uh, How there's enough oxygen, I will never understand. Her (laughs) needs are minimal, apparently, in that state. But yeah, she will burrow. Chihuahuas burrow. And my dog yeah. is a lot Chihuahua. She's a scramble. Yeah. We don't know what else is in there, but definitely Chihuahua. Yeah. Charlie's a like a toy or miniature poodle. He's very small poodle. and he's very well behaved mm-hmm. and just the cutest dog ever. And now I totally want Charlie, like a the a carbon copy of Charlie for myself. Um, don't know if that's possible, but you know, we'll keep our eyes out. A good dog will do that. To <laughs> eyes you. open. A good dog will make you think, like, "Oh, go get a dog," and yeah. then you get your dog. And everyone yeah. loves their dog, despite their dog's peculiarities. Yeah. You know, odd, oddities is the word yeah. I'll say instead yeah. of the one that yeah. didn't happen right. But my dog, uh, yeah. you know, I'd be like, "Oh, she's incredibly easy to care for," and then hand you a list sixty items long of all her do's, don'ts, can'ts, won'ts. <laughs> you know, uh, but it's the breeze. Oh, sure, yeah. she'll scream at the drop of the hat. Yeah, she screams. Your dog doesn't scream. Yeah. Oh, my dog just screams. Right. Is that going to be a problem? Yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> You know, what they make you think is normal is pretty funny pretty fast. Yeah. But Charlie so far that that um, list is normal. Concerned about new faces on a pro- yeah. on the on on their turf, absolutely normal. And concerned about thunder? Oh, come on. That's a tiny poodle. Yeah. He, 
he barks uh, at at visitors. Sure. Like and kind of tries to do an intimidating growl, which is hilarious. Hilariously not. And then like he'll run out and greet them with his tail wagging. Like what? Not much of a guard dog. You know, he's more of an alert system. Your your watchdog and your guard dog aren't the same dog. What you've got there is a watchdog. That'll no. watch out and tell you, hey, something yeah, over it's there. A watchdog. Your guard dog then goes and intimidates the thing. But they're not the same dog. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Charlie, um, you know, with the thunder, he didn't, thankfully, he didn't, like, run and hide in some really annoying place. It's hard to get him out of, like a lot of dogs mm-hmm. do. He uh, he just trembled. Oh, the shaking. <laughs> sort of shaking. Yeah, the shaking's hard. The shaking. It was so cute. Yeah, you really feel but it. But he stayed calm. Yeah, it. There were some real big rumbles, and uh, he was he handled it well. Though he was he put on a brave face. Um, his body told the truth, yeah. though. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but Charlie is a very sweet dog, and um, you know we see him a lot anyway. So it was very easy adjustment for him to like come over. He knows us. He knows our house and all that. So he stayed with us before but not for this long and so it'll be interesting i mean he'll go crazy when they come home oh yeah um just nuts when he sees them um he loves them so much but anyway um it's been a delight to have charlie here and uh scott has taken him pleasure boating in the pool and like putting him on a little float (laughs) and then moving him around the pool he's not much of a swimmer (laughs) um but yeah so it's good to teach no, him, but I it mean, doesn't he, mean they're going to do it. He has fallen in. Right. He loves playing next to the pool. Like, he likes chasing you around when you're in the pool. Uh, he goes really crazy. Like, it's fun for him to come meet you on this side of the pool and then run to the other side of the pool. And, um, and he has fallen in a couple times. And he can swim. It's so crazy that they instinctually can just swim. Um very adorable when that happens but no he doesn't volunteer to get in the water unless it's by accident um and uh so that that woke us up kind of early and then i uh did a costco run today mm. you know inflation you gotta save that's money you gotta buy in bulk that's that's deep anticore right oh there. yeah and i went to a new mm-hmm. level you know when i go to costco i usually just do the outskirts sure. of the store but this time I went in the center and I looked at clothing Ooh. and that's when you've really reached a new level. But the reason I did that is because, um, you know, you got it when you, when you belong to Costco, I'm sure Sam's club does the same thing. When you belong to one of these discount warehouses, you got to read the mailers when they come in, uh, in the mail, because they will tell you where, what the deals are. And you got to look for those deals for the things you already bought. Oh, do I get so texts from we Harbor Freight? A... Heck yes, I do. I was following my Father's Day tool sales. <laughs> I understand what you're talking. I'm, I'm picking up yeah. what you're putting down. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can save some real money when you go, you're already getting a deal. And then you're getting even more of a deal. Yeah. So a lot of our stuff that we buy normally was on sale. It's like the Costco gods knew mm-hmm. what we they needed. They do. They, they, um, actually, they literally do. Yeah. And mm-hmm. yeah. And I noticed in the little uh, leaflet that there were some jogger sweatpants that looked like exactly the style that I like for sale. So I went and checked them out and I was like, you know what? These are the dirt. These are the thickness that I like and the cut. And they're like Fila, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. And so I bought two pairs 
Um, and they fit per I'm wearing them now. It's wonderful. It's a good day. You know, and uh, Scott made fun of me because I, I used to make fun of Scott because he bought this Costco, like, um, I don't know, like a thin, thin park, uh, warm coat, but it's thin. You know, that like sleeping yep. bag material. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, not super puffy, but thin, yep. puffy. And uh, he has like a real nice one. And then he bought a cheap one from Costco because he was like, oh, it's great. And I was like, this looks horrible. I mean, you it's so... But are you warm? Rock bottom. Not even... I mean, it, was che- it looked cheap and it got made me really mad when he would wear it. Cause, and, and he, <laughs> so what? I would just be like, take that fucking thing off. You look like you bought it at a truck stop. And I just... You can't be wearing... And he'd be like wanting to wear it to like nice events he thought it was nice <laughs> and yeah, track stuff apparel yeah it's very dad like this is nice it's quality um hey it works yeah and so i get home and i show him these weapons he goes aha you're buying costco clothes now too and i go the difference is scott is that i don't call these fancy these are sweatpants you know, for sitting around the house and like going to the grocery store. Like I'm not wearing these to an event where I might be networking. Okay. <laughs> sure. Right. <laughs> and they I mean, actually these look nice. The events for- yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. The eternal question, does my butt look good in these? That's all you need to answer about a pant. You don't need to judge its origin. No. There's no, there's no real question beyond that, that need ask that we need be asking yeah uh i mean still you know. applies to sweatpants and fancy pants yeah it's the universal question about your pants yeah but i do think that knowing the line is important of what you should wear to a fancy event versus <laughs> not i however have never found that line and have always shopped at the same stores regardless of the event be it sitting on my couch or the few times i had to do some kind of step turn red carpet photography i was in clothes from target every time every single time it's yeah. just like which tiny section of the Target women's wear world was I going to be shopping from? Yeah. I could turn a 360 and see my entire clothing opportunity world. Um, well, it's just clothing also not my skill set. People, well, there's a skill set, but also I and I've just learned over the years when I talk about something I bought and I'll and someone will go, you know, not that someone goes how much was that, but I'll say how much something was and they will act completely scandalized by how much I am willing to spend on clothing. Um, sure. I lived in New York for 13 years. Like I know yeah. how much, I mean, I'm like, I'm actually being reasonable. Like you don't understand yes. what people spend on clothes. Um, but there's just some people who are like, I'm never going to pay more than $15 for an, uh, uh, something I wear. And so target, is in that range of like they have cute stuff that and you can buy clothes there for pretty cheap. But I I uh I have really high level tastes <laughs> on certain things, but I I had to like I've talked we did an episode about um fast fashion um uh on one of the earlier episodes and I talked on that episode about I had a little bit of a shopping addiction years and years ago and and really love buying like designer boutique like young designer type clothes I, I couldn't afford like Bergdorf Goodman that level but like I could go down to the cool 
boutique in Brooklyn. And still, that shit was expensive. You're, you know, $300 yeah. for a sweater is a lot of money. Um, and so nowadays, I don't really spend that much on clothes unless it's something really special. Like I have this quilted hoodie that's like an upcycled designer piece that I buy that I bought. And I spent some I spent some money on that um, because it's a one of a kind and I treasure it. You've, you've seen me in pictures in it already on my Instagram. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah. But, you know. I sell $50 sweatshirts. I can't say that, yeah. like, something custom-made that you really like is ever going to be that cheap. Uh, right. I have found that whenever I've had the money to jump up to one of the cool shops, I've never found one that I fit into. And okay. that's on me. Like, literally, my sizes. And that's I see so mm -hmm. many women who fit my measurements that look fantastic. So it's me and my hunt. Okay. But I have never had the cash and been in the right place to, like, land in the thing yeah. that fits. It'll I happen. Have but the a, stars have not aligned for I me have a way. recommendation. Next time you're in L.A., you may have heard of this place, or just go online and maybe order one thing and you can return it if it if it doesn't fit. Um, I had a revelatory shopping experience. Post-pandemic, I'm sure shopping has been stressful for a lot of people because people have kind of gained weight. Their body has changed over the course of time as well. And we were all sitting around in sweatpants for a long time. And so then you'd go to put back on your jeans or your nicer pants. And you're like, oh, this shit doesn't fit. Or the style has yeah. changed now. Or I'm older and I don't like that. Whatever it is. So a lot of people are like, I know, are like, like I had to go and buy new pants. So I needed new pants that fit me and that just felt because that's the other thing during the pandemic suddenly skinny jeans are like you know sacrilegious and like right. um and I actually like was like, relieved by that because I like a bigger cut uh on the leg sure. I don't want to you know I don't need to feel tingling in my ankles because I'm wearing pants <laughs> that are so tight um and I, I like the way it looks. I just want to control the foot flare. I just want to maintain. Okay, a close right. You to don't want it bell bottom. Cut. Okay, so here's where. Let's not. Here's what happened. Repeat mistakes. Yeah. Over Christmas, I did some shopping in Highland Park. There's a lovely little strip of of shops. If you're ever shopping in in East LA, go to York, in Highland Park. You can walk up and down. There's so many different shops. You, I bought somebody something for everybody in my family there. Like. You know, a cool skate shop. I bought a, a hoodie for my nephew. I bought, I mean, there's just everything. And then um, there's this store, and they're, now they're opening them up in different cities across the U.S. called Big Bud Press. And it's, you go in and it's like a rainbow. And I remember the time going in and going, wow, this place, like, I think I'm going to like these pants. Like, the pants are in a million different sizes. And this is the key. They have huh. on the back elastic. So it's cotton pants, yeah. like work pants, almost like Dickies, you know? Um, uh-huh. And on the back is I'm elastic. Familiar. Yes, I have so looked. They're forgiving. Did you not find something there? Have yes. you tried on clothes there? Oh, no. It's just that I've, I've found it. Like, I always go shopping with nothing in my bank account and then forget where to go back <laughs> to. Right. Um, it's not but cheap. I think but that the... Yeah. No, yeah, so it's a perfectly reasonable price, looking at their website, for what it is. I feel mm -hmm. like the issue is length, that I'll okay, have to double so check. I know and you're I taller than me. before I do. Yes. And my waist is, my waist is way up. The, it's, I don't have a lot of torso. I, it's, most of me is weight. Most of me is leg or hip. Most of me is actually hip. Well, I'm then I would say, I would hip. suggest, you know, like, because 
I, I was surprised how long the pants were. I was like, oh, I bet short people have to get these hemmed. Um, I bet they do. Uh, which is what you want. That means 34 inches. Yeah. And that, I'm so close. Yeah. But I'm kind of a 36 inch gal that I, I will check because I love, of course, the jumpsuit aesthetic. The oh, they have jumpsuits, right. They've got overalls. This is a key time yeah. for practical clothes aunties to scoop up big because yeah. we'll wear them long after the rest of you decided yeah. they're passe. I, however, right. will be in my single garment, one and done with many deep pockets. Um, I'm rocking gardening overalls constantly sending. And their sizes are like, um, I want to say it's just like medium, large, large, but they go, they have a huge range of sizes. They don't, you know, they make sure that it's very body, you know, um, different bodies are all, all bodies are included in this, uh, at least I guess, you know, I I wonder about the height thing for you, but I, I do think you probably could find um, a cut there that is long enough, but, um, and they might even sell a custom longer length, but um, online or something. It does seem like the kind of company that is trying to get bodies into their products. Yeah. So usually there is some kind of mechanism by which that can occur. Well, I, I went in the dressing room and I tried on the first pair and I almost started crying because I just and so I was like, gosh, you know, imagine somebody who really has a hard time finding clothes in their size. But I was just had put on a pair of pants that fit me. I remember Barbara Gray, very funny comedian, tweeted a while back. She just said, instead of trying to lose weight, I just bought clothes that fit. <laughs> and yeah, it's so critical. You have to. You'll feel so, oh, yeah. I know. And I put these I have, pants you on. You never know. They fit me perfectly. It, and I looked skinnier yep. than if I had, you know, it's like because they fit me correctly. And I didn't look like I was busting out of them or whatever. So I bought three pair of pants, oh, in, a pair of overalls. It's 29 inches. Yeah, what? Ooh, ooh, that didn't seem as for It's 29 inches. But I am going to send him a note because I do love these to see if I'm reading that incorrectly or if I can find a bigger one. But that is a very short. That's a very. Oh, that's yeah, so no. Short. One of uh, the 29 is usually too short for me. I'm like a 31. But yeah, I'm um, willing to bet that I'm missing something somewhere. And I will. Uh, it does again. These are cool enough that I would go ask. Big Bud Press, yeah. I appreciate the recommendation. And I have perused this site before. Yeah. And I will uh, do it again. You're not the first. And I hope that you are not the last <laughs> to remind me to. Um, it's all like. But I hope the next time I'm like, oh, yeah, I have theirs. Yeah. It's all like recycled fabric. Um, you know, it's it's a cool place. And they have shirts and shorts and all kinds of shit. Um, so got my, my Costco sweatpants today. Heck and yes. uh, some other items that were needed, and other I got maybe bought one or two things that I'm like, eh. I'm usually very good yeah. about not buying the bulk item that you're never gonna go through. Like I know what lasts, like toothpaste <laughs> doesn't expire. Always buy sure. your toothpaste bulk. Uh, I know that we go through peanut butter like crazy. So because Scott puts peanut butter in his smoothies, he has a smoothie every single day. So we go through peanut butter and um you know, uh, salsa, like things like, and now Costco has a ton of organic stuff. So, um, you can find things there and, you know, I mean, every time I go in there, they've got something new that I'm like, Oh, this is an all natural, uh, chemical free shampoo, you know, <laughs> and like, yeah. And color safe. And I guess every time I go in there, there's something new, but, um, had a great run in Costco, fully fulfilling auntie core duties for the week. And um, speaking of Auntie Cor, I just have to say I can't apologize for any background round noise because it's rain. It is actively raining out here in the desert. And I just peeked out my window 
to see the sweet lady walking around securing objects. Do you need to stop so you can go help? No, no, it's fine. I already did a, a sweep. Okay, um, yeah. So it, it, just noticing things because you just leave that you just leave I know. things out. You just forget. You, you forget that it could get wet, and you everything just stays outside. Uh, and this is yeah. She's from Washington. She knows mm-hmm. you know deep in her bones that things can get wet. Leave nothing outside, well, and yet still every stuffed dog toy, every yeah. unsecured bit of trash. I was so, so happy yeah, though when we realized see. it was because I thought it was just dry lightning. And I was so happy when I realized it was raining because today I was supposed to water the garden and now I didn't have to. How's the garden? It's doing great. It's drinking. Things are getting a little Good. scraggly in the sun. I just ordered some shade cloth. Yeah. Um, yep. Which will filter out some of the sun and hopefully um, boost back some plants that are kind of struggling. And then um, I also realized, and I'll have to see, but I made the mistake. It was one of those things you just keep putting off. I had a little bin of all my compost tea supplies out and my little aerator motor air compressor thing. I left it out in the, in the rain. So mm-hmm. it probably got a little wet. I need it to fully dry. I'll be fine. And then I'll, you know, plug it in and, and electrocute myself. But yeah. <laughs> I think it'll be it'll fine. Be right. um, it's got a metal casing that I probably shouldn't touch until, <laughs> until I know that it's fine. <laughs> um Get good thunder out of It's like literally it when you way. read the instructions for the thing, it's like so much about how this thing should not get wet. <laughs> <laughs> huh. Me, I'm only like when it's in use, it, it shouldn't touch water. Sure, That's yes. what they're talking about. But like, because <laughs> it's like out of metal, it's metal. But I don't think it will, uh, I think it will still function once it's completely dried out. But um, the other auntie core activity that I, and I do have like a, a cultural hot take uh, industry topic coming. I haven't told you anything of anything I'm saying today. Um, yeah, no, I'm here for the ride. Yeah. Um, you, I'm just hanging yeah. on. You got the steering wheel. Yeah. Um, I have felt since the surgery and sort of like also cumulative uh, effect of the pandemic, very out of shape. And it mm-hmm. really kind of hit um it kind of reached a a frenzy a wall whatever we want to call it this week when my like my back was really kind of hurting and um mm. but totally in a you're out of shape kind of way <laughs> and then i had to like give charlie a walk and he doesn't really he's not a big walking dog like he doesn't love walking he he usually will only do it with jordan um, she can get him to do it, um, but he he won't have it with me. He he just wants to go out there and sniff this one bush, pee on it, and then come in. <laughs> he has no sure. interest of going further. But I was determined, so I picked him up and walked him up to the end of the block, just so at least he'd walk home. And yeah, that's a good cheat with the tiny yeah. dog. You can just pick him up. Yeah, you can just and uh, it's great the amount i was out of breath by the the end of that because it's slightly uphill i was like this is bad so Mm -hmm. um i usually during the pandemic my way of sort of keeping active was to go on walks i really enjoy walking i have a few hills in my neighborhood and i've done crossfit i've done um running I've, I've done a lot of the higher level higher intensity exercises and i actually found walking was fine walking i was achieving the same like heart rate and you know felt just as good as i would and i didn't 
I wasn't in constant pain. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And But my problem is, is that I'm incredibly weak. And people don't understand. I even tweeted about this yesterday, and I still had people not listening to me. And this is my big beef with fitness, is that people don't believe me when I say I'm really weak. They think yeah. I'm not pushing hard enough or I don't believe in myself because we have this fucking idea in America that it's like if you believe in yourself, you can bench press 100 pounds. It's like, no, actually, I physically no, you cannot. Yeah, can't. You shouldn't. No. And so yeah. they don't believe me. And I, I and I say this because I know that I am weak to the point where a warm up or the modified version of an exercise is still too hard for me. And yes. I went to a CrossFit gym and then a gym that was kind of, it was CrossFit, uh, it was CrossFit, but they didn't call it that. <laughs> it was all sure. former CrossFit coaches and it was a lot of the same terminology and exercises and stuff. And yeah. And um, I always was the weakest person, even after a year of doing it and in the best shape of my life, I was still the weakest person in the class, you know, and like years and, you know, nine, nine years ago, 10 years ago, almost, I had a personal trainer for a short time. And that was the only time I've ever been able to do push-ups. I did five push-ups after like six months of nonstop working on it. So people are like, start with a push-up. Yeah. No, I can't do a knee one. I can't even do a knee one. Stop. Yeah. You yeah. know? And so, um, I, I get really frustrated, but I know I need better strength because it's starting to give me aches and pains. And I, I will see myself in a reflection and go, I'm moving like a fucking 80 year old woman <laughs> because I'm so weak. And so I, uh, I kept wondering, like, how do I do an exercise program that doesn't kill me so bad on the first day at the, their, their ground zero that then I don't mm -hmm. do it because I'm in pain for two weeks afterwards because I get really inflamed hips where it'll mm -hmm. keep me awake at night. Like I can't. Oh, um, yeah. And the moment I stopped doing CrossFit where, where I was doing a lot of squats and shit like that is the moment the pain went away. And this is after strengthening those muscles and doing all the things I knew you were supposed to do to get that pain, quote unquote, to go away. And it was like, oh, when I stopped doing the crazy, heavy, too hard stuff, the pain went away. So... But I, I know from doing physical therapy a while back how low level, like I'm just doing basically like physical therapy type exercises is what I need to be doing. So what I realized is like, you know what, I should look up what old, like for seniors, like I should look up a senior <laughs> exercise app. And I looked up a senior um, exercise app for women and there's an app. I couldn't be happier. It's called Joan. <laughs> It's the, the little icon is pink and Joan is spelled with the same exact font as Joanne Fabrics, which you know I love. That feels right. It, mm -hmm. It's so correct. And Joan, you open up the app. Joan is a, a lady that looks like she's probably in her 70s. She is a beast. Like she is probably the most muscular old woman I've ever seen. So I trust her. And then you can enter right. into the app, like what your levels are. And I just went lowest level and it's like a limited mobility eight week course. And I started the first one and I, I'm embarrassed to say I couldn't even do 
the amount of exercises they were saying. So like one was push-ups, but on like a table. Well, I tried the mm-hmm. countertop because you're supposed to do three reps, three three sets of ten reps. I was able to do ten barely, um, on the countertop, and then I couldn't do anymore. So I went to the wall. I did wall push-ups, which is something. Wall push-ups are great. It's something. I, yep. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm the appropriate amount of sore today. I can feel it, but I'm not ruined, you know, and that's right. what I need. And so that now I can build and I'm not like dreading these exercises that are so difficult that I'm, you know, falling onto the toilet, you know, you know that when you do do too much um, yes. glute stuff the next day on your thighs, Hopefully. <laughs> you have to like... Have a, a, a forklift or a, a, like a crane lower you onto the toilet because those the muscles don't work. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm very excited about Joan and my new um, working towards having functional strength. That's what I'm looking for. I'm not looking to be ripped. I'm not looking to bench or, you know, my deadlift. I'm, I'm not doing that anymore. Although I really did like weightlifting with a bar when I was doing it. Um, it just was too painful. I mean, even the training bar was too heavy, you know, so, and people like whenever I would do stuff at CrossFit, they like, wouldn't believe me. I'm like, I'm telling you, I can't do this. And they're like, just try. And I'm like, you know, and one time it was like, I don't know what's it called a pike or something. I can't remember, but you like lower it's really hard like it's high level oh right lowering your full body down and then lifting it back up the dip yeah lowering no, your whole like a, a one like it squat is a, a spent essentially oh, okay. what i'm talking right. about there's no way in fucking hell i was gonna be able to do that so they were like well just do it down onto a bench and i said i can't do that either and they were like okay um and she was like show me and i was like she goes <laughs> the coach was like oh well why don't you just practice oh. sitting down and standing up <laughs> Yeah, that's what what you're trying to do really well forever. It's the thing you're trying to do the most. I, you have to start where you are and be glad that your body moves. I forget all the time, but it's a lesson I learned after getting run over by a minivan. Just and that's very early on. Okay, like sixteen. We need to pause. Hold on a sec. You can't just. You can't just I got casually I got slip a, that into straight up run right over. I got crunched. It's the it's the Caitlin Gill origin story because it was a funny story. I got run over after a concert in a Taco Bell parking lot. Um, yeah, and it was a story no wait was, was the concert in, in the Taco Bell parking it was lot? BFD. No, it was BFD. It was Mountain View. It was a it was a okay, concert. Okay, so the, uh, put the incident happened. Remember when radio stations? Yeah. Um, but yeah, the incident happened in a Taco Bell parking lot, mm-hmm. uh, run over by my best friend. I was inside the minivan and then tumbled out and was run over. Um, <laughs> it was a whole thing. And the story was amusing enough that I kept, I, there were like requests. It was right. like my hit. So I, I pushed play and apparently that habit never really died mm-hmm. as I made a career of it for a time. Uh, <laughs> just, well, that's a funny story. Yeah. I bet people will hear that over and over again and laugh. Um but yeah, I, I straight up got munched and crunched and the like rebuilding from injury is serious and you can't take it lightly. You have to take really good care of yourself. Um, yeah. And damage is real and you hurt all the other parts of your body by overcompensating mm-hmm. and 
you know, I've been injured lightly, but thankfully never as severe since then and dealing with it in the last couple of years, just going back to those lessons from when I was 16, like I tweaked my knee, I tweaked a rib in the last couple of years. And those are both tough yeah. things to damage that make you much weaker and take forever to recover from. And you just have to do it. Yeah. You don't, there's no way but through. When my hip pain and, was so bad, I told the doctor and they were like, I mean, they didn't really even tell me what was wrong. They took an x-ray and they were like, oh, you've got something in your hip. and you got and, hip hurts and a, a ptosis. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Hip bursitis or some shit. Um, and they were like, do you want per, uh, physical therapy? And I was like, sure. And I, when I did it for a while, um, I didn't notice much of a change. And it's because I was, like, running. I was doing stuff I should. That was one big lesson I learned is, like, I really like running, but I didn't commit. I wasn't strong enough. And people are like, oh, if you do these exercises, you're strong enough. And it's just like, but I can't do those. And I fucked up my body by running on a very Try. weak body. And yeah. Um, and then you can injure yourself and all that stuff. So anyway, I was doing physical therapy. And I'll never forget the physical therapist. She was the only person that ever really acknowledged it. And she was like, every time she would have me stand on one leg and she'd go, she just kept going, oh, you're so weak. You're so weak. <laughs> I just wanted to be like, can you just fucking stop? Like, <laughs> but also I was like, thanks for being real with me. Like nobody else is like, oh, yeah, you can do it. Easy. Like even when I tweeted that somebody, he's a nice guy, but he was like, oh, you should come to me with to come with me to a boxing class. And I just want to be like, did you just read what I wrote? I tried boxing one time and I couldn't move my hand for two days yeah. afterwards because I'm not strong enough to hit the bag so that all the impact isn't felt in my my hand. Do you understand when yeah. I say I'm not strong enough? I'm not. I it, I shouldn't be doing shit like that. <laughs> well, I'll add Jane to my repertoire. Can I trade you one? Mm. Have you come across hybrid calisthenics on YouTube? Ooh. Just a very sweet, gentle man. And he's a gentleman. Yeah. But also seems to be uh, very gentle in his handling and uh, his approach to physical fitness. But he approaches every exercise from a like do it from where you are standpoint and yeah. really breaks them down as like a process with, right. and, you know, you can tell by his presentation that he's pushing back against the messaging that's been present for so long, mm -hmm. just to every step being like, if this is the step you're at, congratulations, you're yeah. here. <laughs> like you're at wall push up. Great job. Right. I wonder if and I, I saw a video and I wonder if it's the same guy who's young. And his push up video is pretty viral. Yeah. And it was, he's young, he right? One, yeah, yeah. It's him. And very sweet. One for every type of exercise. Yeah. And I've used those tips. At, like, they're, um, I really appreciate, and the reason I'm not sponsored by hybrid calisthenics, but <laughs> I will say, like, this is someone that makes this information available for free, which mm -hmm. I really appreciate because this isn't walled off or gated information. Mm -hmm. He's very encouraging, which is a good place to come from if you're approaching this kind of stuff, especially if you've lost an ability you felt like you previously had. Like yeah. if you were a push-up person and then like you destroyed your elbow and now you have to like mm -hmm. try to be a push-up person again, it can really affect the way you feel about yourself. And having somebody meet you where you are with some encouragement mm -hmm. for free on YouTube is very helpful. I don't think he's an he's like a cult, so that's helpful. <laughs> you know, I don't sense yeah. that behind him is an evil empire right. of any kind. Um, but 
I found that uh, advice in his yeah. The, to be the push up video was the one that went viral, and I think he was just sort of like, "I can teach you how to do a push up." And he, but he said, I can't remember how he said it, but he said in the beginning, he was just like, "This is not about looking ripped or any of that stuff. This right. is about like function functionality and like whatever." And I I appreciated that, but yeah, I uh, I'm excited to be on my Joan journey. Uh, I also will look at those videos as well and um, highly recommend and uh, but let's move on to the hot take of the day but first do you have any updates about auntie core stuff homestead stuff that you want to make restoring sure restoring a toolbox going great um, oh, yeah. fixed up some old engineering and tool carts like the push carts that you see around shops just had some rusted ones that mm-hmm. I sanded down and repainted yep. and putting those into use. I screwed one up after painting it and had to sand it down and repaint a section. And it's very discouraging, but it was also like a good, oh, I can do this better the second time. Um, I also hate projects that like don't take a day. I don't hate them, but I am still learning the discipline they tried to teach us with dioramas in the fourth grade that some projects take three weeks. Um, mm-hmm. So just embracing that like, Nope, got to sand it, got to take my time, go back with a new coat. Uh, But now it's looking better than before, which is good. Uh, I have a she shed project that's slowly in development. That's where all these carts and like restored shelves that were just sort of around Mm -hmm. the property are going. Um, And I'm excited for what that's going to unlock. Making a little woodworking table, restoring a Craftsman 137 saw. There is a Craftsman 113 on the property, which is a prized possession. But when I say it is rutted and gutted, it is... She's a rusty beast. <laughs> I can fix the 137. I can save, the, I can wait, save the, her. Is the, these are uh, table saws? These are table saws, yeah. yeah. Apparently, as I've discovered by poking around Reddit, these are saws for saw nerds, um, uh-huh. which, auntie core as it is, I'm already whittling out my saw blocks for when my table saw is fully complete, so I have safety stops. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's some restoration to be done. Mm-hmm. And my... So I, the smaller one that is uh, a, a little bit lower power, but well within the range of what I need, is absolutely fixable and within the means of my own skill level. But there is another prized saw on the property that is just rusted and dented and missing belts and pieces and the motor's like hanging off. And it's somebody's project. But it's not <laughs> mine, not yet. Yeah. I have a lathe to fix first. I have a lot of other things. Yeah, like prioritize. So much work. Yeah. Um, but it is all coming together, which is exciting. Because long term, girlies build in a greenhouse out of reclaimed materials from the property. So that's Ooh. what the shop will do. You know, I also recommend watching a show if you have a, an Apple Plus, uh, Apple TV oh, yeah. Plus mm-hmm. subscription. I recommend the show Home. And it mm. each episode features an, a unique uh, home, but it really is done well. It's Scott and I were talking that, you know, we we Magnolia Network, which is on Discovery Plus, or it's a channel if you have cable, uh, is like Chip and uh-huh. Joanne's network. And they do this as well, which right. is it's home design and building type shows, but not with the HGTV like, we're going to see how fast you can flip this house. What are we going to do? The property, brother. You know, it's like it's not that like in your face right. bullshit, you know, like. We're going to blast this wall. Do, 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 do. Phone call. We found water damage. Like, it's not that. I want to see just beautiful porn. 
of somebody's incredible log yeah. cabin, you know, and I want to hear the story behind it. So anyway, this show home is exactly that. It's these beautiful houses and they really go into the per- the people's story and their personal journey to building this house, to the property. You know, one was all about the guy's relationship with his autistic son and creating a home that his son could function in. And it was just, and they they do different ones. So anyway, the first one, is a house in the Sweden or Switzerland. Um, I get those two mixed up, but I think it's Sweden. Sure. The colder one. And um, <laughs> in, it's a house inside a greenhouse. The, a greenhouse is Ooh. built all around the house. It's really beautiful and cool. And each one is so different. And you're like, oh, my God, this. And now we're doing one about a 324 square foot apartment in hong kong that is incredible right and like so anyway i recommend that show home and you should watch it uh i think you should watch there's a few episodes that you'll really uh dig if not all of them but yeah thank you yeah it's the kind of project that there's no straightforward instruction video for Mm -hmm. so diverse sources are really crucial i'll be using a weird mix of like you know, every kind of building technique that people do with their two paws and hand tools and light machinery. Um, But it's kind of crazy to watch, you know, but the gears tick with all the weird stuff that's around the property, just moving them in segments, playing with my little Tetris blocks to put them together into a year round growing space, I hope. But, you know, we'll see. We've got, it's a long road that starts with refurbishing toolboxes and getting machine carts ready to hold stuff so that I can put wood in a place Mm -hmm. and then saw it. But slowly but surely, day by day. Day by day. Um, okay, so for the hot, hot take. Takes. So I saw a thread yesterday, and it was from a uh, someone in the industry. I don't know if she's PA level. She's a lower level, maybe writer's assistant level. And she has very few followers. I actually quote tweeted her and like started telling my own story about something, which I'll get to in a second and realized like maybe I should just I deleted it because I was like, I don't know. I'm like stirring shit up and this person only has 300 followers. And I looked at her profile and realized that most likely the show she is referring to is a very, very famous beloved show. And I just started to feel nervous that I was contributing to maybe a pylon she didn't anticipate and I don't know you know Mm -hmm. whenever you quote tweet somebody and you have way more followers there's a responsibility there that most people do not ever consider um, Mm -hmm. which is even if it's positive sometimes you're drawing attention to someone who maybe doesn't want all of your followers to now start having a conversation and have opinions it's like I'm bringing my hellscape of a Twitter experience and I'm just dumping it on somebody else. So I ended up deleting it because I was kind of like shit talking some, something completely unrelated, but it's an interesting conversation in general, which is, so what she said was, um, so apparently on Twitter, there's a hashtag that's like hashtag pre WGA. And it's like people who are aspiring Mm -hmm. to become TV writers and, they are people who are like almost there. Like I'm pre WGA. I've been a writer's assistant. I'm working my way up. And it's like, you know, screenwriting Twitter and TV writing Twitter can be very annoying. Writing Twitter mm-hmm. in general can be annoying. Writers can be annoying. That's the that's the main <laughs> theme of this conversation we're heading into. Um, One step back, Twitter yeah. can be annoying. I mean, it's right. just it's all a microcosm of a microcosm. Yes. Yeah, but writers yeah. are also annoying. Yes, yes. Yeah. And um, 
but it's a community and people help each other. And it's like, I just submitted my first script and, you know, it's like people encouraging each other and networking. Mm -hmm. And she says, you know, just so you know, uh, I was, I sat in on a writer's room for a while where they would take up, they would bring up the hashtag and every day they would make fun of younger uh, aspiring writers in the writer's room. They would gang up and make fun of these people. And she was like, just so you know, that's, you know, when you're tweeting that, you know, this is happening. You know, and somebody, and then it starts a conversation. Someone's like, well, they, people shouldn't stop using that hashtag. It's their way of networking and fuck these guys, fuck these people. And it starts this whole conversation. And I just, I wanted to go, oh, you sweet child. I was like, yeah, writer's rooms can be so vicious and um a couple things one especially comedy writers rooms i think and you've been in uh, one or two i've been in a bunch and some are not like that really and some really are and there's like a line for me where because like who doesn't love a shit talking you know but it's who are you shit talking i I actually am i'm i'm terrible at i i if somebody's listening to this who knew me at some phase of my life where I was a worse person and they were like, what are you talking about? You talk shit with the best of them. Well then fair enough, but I can't fucking do it. It's one of the reasons it's one of the hardest parts of the hang for me. It's very difficult. Um, I actually find that and have found that part of the dream job, not so dreamy, or as I might say, you can live your dream, but you're wide awake the whole time. That one's hard. Uh, I have there's huge pressure. a whole s- Ooh, little yeah. section in my show um, uh-huh. about the hang and about the main activities that take place in the hang. And it's shit talking and roasting or like the two. One one is yeah. scapegoating and directed towards an outsider and one <laughs> yes. and the other is directed inwards. Both activities unite the group. This is like uh-huh. ancient civilization. The definition of scapegoating, yes. go look it up. It's when you yes. uh, when you ostracize <laughs> someone for the purpose of uniting the group. And yes. um, so a writer's room is a group that needs to feel unified. And so a lot of times the function of making fun of something or someone serves to unite the group. And in for me, I like shit talking... Um, and I say shit talking like includes gossip, so it doesn't necessarily, you know, and I, I think there's a function for all those things to a limit. You have to limit it. You can't just, cause you start to feel sick. It's like you're, you're binging on donuts and like by the sixth donut, you're like, this is not good. I'm not enjoying this anymore. (laughs) Um, well, if I have two short rules, one is never, I don't say anything out loud. I wouldn't say to somebody's face, but yeah. I would also say some crazy shit to someone's face. So my leeway <laughs> is a little bit different than what yeah. it should be, but I've also learned about talking shit. I can shut up if somebody else is going to say the same thing I am. Like if, yeah. if like if somebody's already going to talk that shit, I don't need to shit it twice. Like it's already been shitted. Yeah. So it's like I strategically avoid participating um, it, because what uh, I can already hear people saying what I would say, which is yeah. cowardly and useful. I think in equal measure, I'll call it a neutral good. <laughs> yeah, I have evolved. You know, I've gotten just much wiser 
um, Mm -hmm. on the way that I shit talk or what I shit talk about in front of certain people. I I hold my cards way closer to my chest than I used to learn lessons hard way of, you know, um, sometimes it's like, are we just, and for me, and this is what I was getting to, for me, Mm -hmm. shit talking in a group like a writer's room, um, it's, Really, in this case, punching up and down makes a huge critical difference for me. Like, I was in a writer's room where we would make fun of one of the executives at the network whose notes were the most annoying. I mean, she was so fucking annoying. And we couldn't figure out how she got her job. Like, what were her qualifications? I mean, and in the world of comedy TV, when an executive clearly doesn't understand how comedy works, it is so frustrating. It's so, yeah. and it's very common. I would say nine times out of 10, you are dealing with executives, even at, who are at, uh, I will say, Comedy Central was one of them, you know, or at a network, or they're supposed to be handling the comedy programming for that network. Um, so not just Comedy Central, but like, you know, um, different networks will have people specifically focused on the late night programming, which is comedy, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Um, you mm-hmm. know, yeah, the Food Network executives, maybe they don't get what comedy is and that's OK. But if you're specifically working in comedy programming and you don't get how comedy works, it's so fucking annoying. So I was in a writer's room that would like bring up her Instagram <laughs> and make fun of it. And yeah, it was really mean, but also it was, this person had power over us and this Mm -hmm. person was us, you know, we were roasting the king, you know, um, over our, you know, the, we were the, the, the serfs and they were the Lord, you know, we were, we were making fun of them. Um, and it was our release and our way of dealing with that stress, that stuff I'm okay with, um, Making fun of bullies in our business, making fun of, you know, like, and my thing has always been kind of like, if somebody has personally harmed me or someone I love, it's really hard for me not to go in on it. (laughs) When when the door opens, there's a great BuzzFeed, like, sketch from years ago, or maybe it's Comedy Central. It was an online sketch with Akilah Hughes, who's very funny. And it's like a sketch where she and another coworker, like, are in the kitchen and yeah. they're like, you know, they're like, do you, what do you think of Chad? And then they're, and then they realize they both don't like Chad. And this music, like this music like blares and it's like, we're about to shit talk, you know, like we're about yeah. to talk shit. And it's like, this like huge, like, uh, like montage starts and like how exciting it is that feeling when you realize mm-hmm. you have a common enemy that you want to make fun of. So that can be a situation in which a writer's room goes in on somebody that like kind of is universally um, despised in our business because they're a shitty person, they're a bully, you know, they're a predator, you know, like those types of things. But I've been in writer's rooms where we're making fun of people that truly don't deserve it. And I, you're in a position where you feel like if I stand up for this person, now I risk being the one ostracized and uh that's rough you know um and I've been the one that stood up before and there's been other times where I have chosen out of self-preservation to just hold my tongue and usually people can tell when you're not saying anything that they're like oh Sarah doesn't 
approve. And I'm like, I, I you can feel my That'll do it too, man. You can feel That's my how ice. Our face is all it takes. Yeah, you can feel yeah. the ice coming off of me, you know. I I'm okay with that, but I just won't say anything. So it just depends. But yeah, writers rooms can be really vicious and, you know, this example that this young woman gave is really fucked up because it's like they're making fun of people who they were at one time. Everyone was pre-WGA, yeah. you know? Like what you were born a successful writer like come on it just it's also so not mean. a part of the industry in which you are fit like this clear it only matters to each other like yeah no one outside the industry no zero people who don't have any kind of professional or financial tie to the industry are ranking writers by like professional longevity or any other means like yeah no one it's not something that's people don't even vote. Like I don't know what to tell you except they are not concerned with where you stand as a television writer and that cut like Well right, you aren't one until you are one. In the industry. Right. right. It doesn't it, it and, uh, like meaning you aren't in the WGA and, until you are in it. It's like um you could become a very successful TV writer later in life. You change. I mean there's it's just so it's bull, straight up bullying. And that to me is like, oh, that tells me that the people because she kind of elaborated and said, oh, it was the top people on the show were leading it. And it's like, yeah, of course they were, because that's it's just such a tiny fiefdom. It's so yeah. small. Like It's still such a small victory. It's an amazing professional accomplishment if you're like a good person. But if yeah. you're a if you're a horrible tyrant, then you're just on a tiny hill yeah. you're just screaming on a tiny little hill well and there's people and I'm not belittling the accomplishment of becoming a tv writer of course that's very difficult i'm just saying it's not there's no a... need to shit on people who are trying to achieve what you have achieved there's no and there's room reason. there's room don't yeah well and they're a lot most of people are younger than you it's like i just but you know, it doesn't surprise me, you know, um, when I got into writer's rooms, it didn't surprise me. And in, in, in some cases, it made me feel like I was part of the group and we were having fun. And so I understand the overall activity. And I had good I've had good head writers or good showrunners who were like, OK, we get they literally would be like, we're going to shit talk for 10 minutes. <laughs> right. Just so that we wouldn't um, spend too much time doing it. And get to work. Um, but being a stand-up comic, I was mentally prepared for it, I think, also. Because stand-up comedians in The Hang are... You want to talk about vicious. That shit is rough. And, like, even people you wouldn't think. Like, I, I, I'm not even talking, like, Ellen, you know, which is the one where everyone... Right. What? She was <laughs> a mo She's a monster? You know? I'm talking, like, darlings of, like, the alt scene and, like... Um, you know, or people that you would think they're not the shitty, oh, that we, we or, or they're not an edgelord, but I can point to people I came up with who some of them have chilled out with success and become nicer and some are just who they are. Um, there was a crew, a crew of people in the New York, what we would call alt scene coming up that were the fucking meanest people. Like I have true, like mini mini PTSD from some of it, like straight up bullying me, uh, making fun of me, like, uh, you know, or me knowing I I'm being made fun of, but 
you, you know, when you can just tell in a group dynamic, yeah. like, oh, I'm the odd one out here. And when I leave the room, they're going to make fun of me. Like, I can tell. Oh, do I the six foot one, 230-ish <laughs> pound kind of gay lady who never knew how to dress right and whose makeup looks weird? Do I know what it feels <laughs> yeah. like to know the room's talking about yeah. you? Yeah. Uh-huh. I don't think I've ever not had that feeling yeah. when entering or exiting a room full of new people. Yeah. Just some it's a superpower. Real. Is what I'll say. And this young woman who she one of the things she referred, which I love and I'm, I'm taking from her in this moment, I'm par- I'm I'm quoting her is uh, mm-hmm. she goes, they're insecure little rat boys. And I'm like, so God, insecure. so many of the people literally they look like little rat boys. And then I That's the thing. they're women, like, too. I include women in this, you know, uh, so I don't want to say it's all men that do this shit. It's definitely women. I mean, um, the. The one of the greatest examples I have of it of how a writer's room can be so daunting, and I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but um, one time on a first day of a new gig, um, I sat down and casually looked over and saw on the screen of the person sitting next to me them openly mocking me in a text exchange with one of my peers. And I just, in that moment, I mean, I was truly like, oh, fuck. Like, and I didn't know this person. I had never worked with them before. So um, it was information that I found very valuable um, where I was like, oh. That's it. Now I know not to trust you. And I, I just pretended I didn't see it. And I was perfectly nice to them for the rest of the gig. And, and when I see them around now, I'm nice. I just pretend it didn't happen. Because that gives me power. Um, because I'm like, oh, you think I'm not going to give you anything. Right. I'm not going to give you anything to add. You know, I'm just I'm who I am and I'm going to play it cool. And that was lessons I learned over a very long time on how to play it cool. Because a younger me would have gone ape shit. I mean, I would have I don't know what I would have done, but I definitely would have cried and left the room. Yeah. But luckily I was able to not cry. I, I cried a little bit that night sure. telling Scott about it. I was just like, I was that just sucks. like back in high school. like, And they were making fun of my appearance. The thing about that is like, that's just <laughs> bad strategy. Like there's part of it that comes down to like yeah. I, unprofessionalism is part of it, but that's too cheap a word. It's like, yeah. this is a long game, this kind of career. And the more you run your mouth like that, the more you're going to run it in the wrong places and run yourself right into a little corner where the only people that you associate with are people who play it that way. And like the industry's big. So there's plenty of those little corners to go hide in. You can be with other rat faced, angry people and you can be like spent 20 (laughs) years writing a network show like that, but you'll be miserable. I don't care how big your pool is. That's still who you are. And if there's five friends making a yeah. web series, but doing it like really happily and sending like encouraging notes to one another and the idea they all wake up with knowing full well that no one on their crew would ever send a note like that about them. And so they can flourish in that yeah. environment. Then they're doing better than you, dude. They're doing better than you. I'm talking yeah. to a hypothetical person who's also like very an amalgamation of very real people. <laughs> yeah. But you know what I mean? That I mean, that's who you're going to wind up with. Uh Long term, you'll be surrounded by a room full of people that'll talk shit. Right. I mean, there's some people who I've hurt. You know, there was one person and not one. I mean, he's one of many. But there there was one person that was like really mean in the New York comedy scene coming up when I was coming up. And and 
kind of everybody knew it was like, oh, this person is mean Mm -hmm. and be careful, you know, but super funny person, but mean. And I'm sure the public would be like, what? You know, Um, and I have heard multiple people that know them to say, oh, this person is miserable. Is just a miserable human being, I, you, and then they're, they're not happy. And it's you know, I'm. I think there are some people who operate in a level. There are bullies who come from a level of unhappiness and pain, and then there are narcissists and sociopaths who derive pleasure from hurting other people. There are these varying um, personality types, and I think from what I've heard about Ellen, I would put her in sociopath. Uh, range because the stories I've heard about her from people who right. it happened to. So this isn't direct, like secondhand yeah, stuff. Direct, uh, direct stories that are told to me that make me think that Ellen derived pleasure from making other people feel horrible. And um, you can sense it from the, some of the stuff that she does on the show. <laughs> like she, she has the whole games where the whole thing is like, I push a button and you fall through the floor. You know, that's like very um, like like Joffrey. Yeah, it's very weird. <laughs> Joffrey levels. <laughs> um but yeah, so uh yeah. It's something that uh, and this was what I um tweeted and ended up deleting cuz I was like I'm just bringing in my own I I should just do this as a separate thing sure. not and not bring this poor young woman into my little story cuz it does involve a slightly public scandal from years ago, but um I said I got my first taste of how cruel writers can be when in senior year of college, um, I took a creative writing class with a, at the time he was like his first year visiting professor, but I think he continued teaching at at William & Mary for years after, Mm -hmm. but um, he was this hotshot novelist. Everyone thought he was super cool and he wrote for Vanity Fair and, you know. Um, and he was teaching at William and Mary, you know, visiting professor type. And I, he was, I mean, his name is Sam Kasher. I'll say it. Cause like, these are things that are public sure. <laughs> that I'm telling you. These are, there are articles written about him. He, I remember hating him first off. Cause I don't, I, I at that age, I did not do well with ego coming from men. I really sure. hated, I, I could smell it a mile away. And I just was like, Oh, you think you're fucking something. You, you think you're somebody. And you, I could just tell when somebody was like a piece of shit, mm-hmm. you know? Um, it's weird how my sensitivity, it was like with little kids that can like, you know, your sense of smell and taste is better with the younger you are. Yes. <laughs> now I feel like I'm more, way more numb to, raging narcissist personalities um or maybe i'm coming full circle who knows but there was a time where i i tolerated a lot from people but in college i was like i don't play and some of my classmates were like but he's a genius and i was like fuck him i don't like his attitude and especially after this incident so somebody left a an essay printed out on the table in this classroom And it was from English 101. And, you know, English 101, even at William & Mary, I mean, it could have been somebody who was a pre-med student and had to take English. You know, these are, at English 101, um, at William & Mary was probably the type of person who was good at math and had to take English 
you know, because William & Mary was a tough school to get into. A lot of people came in with AP credits and stuff. I was already skipping these levels and stuff. But it wasn't a well-written essay. It was obviously somebody where writing was not their strong suit. And um, to be expected and given the level. So Sam Kashner proceeds to hold up the essay and read it out loud to the class and lead us in a group, you know, vicious mockery of this poor person's paper. And I was just so disgusted by, I mean, I just sat there with this look on my face, just like, you know, I was so mad. I laughed and my friend was like, I know you're mad, but he doesn't mean it. I was like, no. And she like was up his ass for some reason. I was like, no, fuck him. And she got like, kind of started crying. Cause I was like, I don't like him. And I, it's like a doctor uh, anyway. looking at a tumor and being like, look at how ugly your tumor is. This is dumb. Somebody should do something about that. Yet yeah, you're a professor. Like if you want a writer to grow, you help that you assess where they are and yeah, then you help them develop. Like, That's kind of your right. jo- the literally your job. That's like your actual job. Yeah. He's like a successful novelist. It's like, what on earth? Same thing to me. That's what it reminded me of. The same thing of like these successful TV writers on a very, very successful show making fun of people who just want to do what they do and have dreams. Like, ew. All I want to do to these people <laughs> is put them in the middle of a Starbucks behind an espresso machine at 9, 12 a.m. and record what <laughs> yeah. happens for seven minutes and watch their entire interior world crumble to debris. (laughs) Just watch them become nothing before my eyes. Watch them endure seven minutes that regular people live their eight hours of and just have it rip their entire being out of their core and just fling it into the highway. I can't Mm -hmm. wait. I mean, the sense that like, yeah, that anybody who can write a joke for a TV show for a host to say is somehow superior to anyone else who's aspiring to that level is just so funny to me. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, so Sam Cashner, and the reason I'm comfortable saying his name is because he got himself into his own shit. Um, I think the same year we graduated or maybe like the next semester right after we left, he published something in GQ that was like kind of a first person because the class he was teaching us was um, creative nonfiction. Okay. So he would like, he's the type that would write a profile of a celebrity Mm -hmm. for Vanity Fair or something, but he wrote like a first person style kind of creative nonfiction essay for GQ. And I just remember it involved a professor who was married, um, uh, having an affair with students and what? and no I remember people really? saying there no way well and apparently he didn't have an affair with a student and he like made it up and his wife was a tenured professor at William and Mary it was this whole blow up and my best friend in college was in the class with me not the one that was all upset that I didn't she hated him too we were on the same page and he plagiarized one of her essays that he had criticized and said sucked. He took phrasing from it and used it in the article Always the or way. in the book that that came out later. I don't remember exactly, but like that's a piece that isn't like public information. But apparently, I mean, if you Google him, there's like articles about him on Gawker getting into like scandals about like lifting other people's life stories and writing about them as if it's their own, that kind of shit. I mean, this guy was just such a worm. And I look back and I mean, I remember just being hating him and also feeling other than my best friend in the class that um, 
that I wasn't ever going to make it as a writer or be cool because I didn't like him and didn't uh, didn't go along with it. And and looking back, I had no idea at the time I was getting practice for what comedy was going to feel like almost every day for 20 years. <laughs> I, yeah. Uh, I don't know why, you know, somehow with stand-up performance, I have a greater threshold for the kind of criticism comics give each other because we get up in front of a live audience. So we have a live threshold mm-hmm. for, or we have a live meter for how well we're doing. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, criticizing the material that somebody uses that kills, like, it still kills. Like, mm-hmm. we all acknowledge that it still kills. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, you, we don't really yeah. need to come for somebody's material when they're dying, because, like, if they don't know that it's dying, then that's the topic of conversation. Not the, necessarily the material itself, but it's, like, the lack of awareness mm-hmm. that things aren't going that great um, is sometimes amusing. But comedians could do it over and over and over again with that meter, that live feedback meter. Writers live in the vacuum, in the absolute silence yeah. of their, you know, creative process until their work filters up through those layers yeah. of toxic, swarmy dudes. Um, it's, yeah. Well, it's interesting you say that because um, I can think of times in writers' rooms that were largely comedians um, that... You know, there was healthy debate, too. I mean, it's not all or nothing. So, like, there were examples where I remember, you know, somebody starts making fun of somebody and then another person will go, wait a minute, I actually like them. Yeah. And then the debate erupts about, like, you know, what is it we're actually arguing about? And sometimes it's about these divisions in comedy having to do with cancel culture and edgelords and what's funny and what's not. And sometimes it has to do with um, clicks and we don't like this person because they aren't part of our group, you know, and, and sometimes being the one that's like, you guys are full of shit. Like this person is actually cool and you have to have respect. And so at the end of the day, for the most part, if the room is filled with relatively smart people, not a bunch of fucking morons, which I've been in those rooms too, (laughs) um, then people can go, you know what? You're right. I respect this person. It's not for me. Yes. You know, and that's usually like if, if we're personally going after a a peer, that usually is what, how it kind of plays out. I don't want to make it seem like, you know, it's either all bullying or, or not, you know, like I said, it's different situations, different power structures. You know, yeah, everybody sitting around and putting on a Crystalia clip and making fun of it at this point is fun. It is fun. And you're not going to tell me that it's not. So I had to work a week with him. We've <laughs> talked about this uh, perhaps, but I worked yeah. with him years ago and like it taught me a valuable lesson. Like you'll never catch me saying Crystalia doesn't kill. Crystalia kills. Oh, yeah. I, he Right. He's popular. Everything that comes out of his mouth is horrible, but he's really good at saying it. Like, and again, this falls under the category of things I would say to Chris Lee's face. That was more relevant, like, five years ago, uh, as he was on the rise, mm-hmm. and I, you know, had worked with him previously. Yeah, now that, there's like, another layer to it. Right. Where now, you know, at yeah. the time, like, you can bury some sweetness in a pretty stiff punch that, like... I don't question, there's a lot of people in comedy, I don't question their ability to work a room, uh, but I hate what they say. No, right. Uh, And I hope that they feel the same way about me. That, you know, like, when I'm, like, 
frying an audience and super hot. They can hate my entire approach or every topic, but like we all agree it's fine. I'm on the lineup because the audience left. Like, uh, there's a sort yeah. of level of respect for how well you perform that, again, writing in a writer's room doesn't have that kind of litmus test. So writers don't aren't given the confidence mm-hmm. or the feedback from their performance <laughs> that stand-up comedians get. Yeah. Uh, which just makes that well, kind of bullying it, more relevant and kind of shittier. Yeah. And I think, too, you know, one a piece of advice I would give to a young writer or even comedian, because these themes are very similar, like the hang, the green room hang and the writer's room can be very. And sometimes you'll be writing on a show with a bunch of comics or whatever, though there's a lot of overlap there. My advice to a young writer would be to go into it just knowing and, and this sounds really fucked up and I don't want to ignite your internal heckler uh, or demon, which is whatever you are worried about people saying about you behind your back, they are. And there's a freedom to that to go. And so what? So fucking what? Because you know what? It happened to me. It's happened to me multiple times in in my career where I have discovered that my worst nightmare of what people think about me or say about me has been said. And being on the Internet will get you familiar with those uh, things real quick. And it's what you do with that. That is the uh, if you can move past that quickly so that, you know, um, you aren't chasing the approval Mm-hmm. of the group so desperately that you're like trying to monitor your behavior to avoid being made fun of instead make your choices based on what gives you the most power in the room um and is that power standing up sometimes for somebody weaker than you maybe is it sometimes just shutting your mouth and not participating and being quiet also a choice you know uh i think going into a writer's room and because that also knowing that if someone's main vibe is to pick on people weaker than them and bullying them, go ahead and assume that they're going to do it to you as well. Um, and in that, you now, and I say this because I'm someone who uh, was way too trusting of people <laughs> when I came into the business. I thought I saw the good in people until I got burned really badly and was like, oh, you're... It was like touching an oven. Like, right. Yes. Oh, that is actually really hot and I shouldn't touch it. You know, it was like, you know, oh, these people are fucking monsters. Like, and I, I just wasn't prepared. And my thin, my skin is so thin. And um, so I just say that if you're, if you're someone like me, I think there's, adv- my advice could be bad for a different type of person. Yeah. But <laughs> I don't know. I, uh, man, doesn't have to be like that is what I'll say. Uh, and you know, you don't have to, if you move up in rank, if you're a person who is in that kind of environment and you find yourself succeeding, you decide what to do with that success. You don't necessarily have to model behavior you've seen before. Um, oh no. Oh yeah. I I hope I'm not saying you need to start talking shit about people. I'm just saying, um, I'm saying as a young writer going in with your guard up and go, you know, don't assume that you need to join in in order to avoid being the brunt of, brunt of right. the joke. Because people who are like that are going to make you the, the the butt of the joke at some point. So just accept that. And now you have freedom to make choices based on what's right for you and for the project. 
I mean, autism's a big diagnosis, and it's one I've only given myself. But one thing that lives that resonates hard is like that inability to function in situations like that. Like authenticity is a word that comes around, but I don't necessarily mean it like a virtue. I just mean like I don't. I'm not that good at playing my cards that close to my best. Uh, and there is a world about writers' rooms and onset culture that is so insular and it's so full of its own vocabulary that it's so easy mm-hmm. to sound stupid. I'm thinking of like the 101 writer too, who might not understand all the formatting of a proper essay and therefore look foolish in the eyes of someone who does that every day. Like the way you write yeah. your script will get muddied fun of. The way you unfold a director's chair incorrectly. Am I speaking about specific instances? Absolutely, yes. We'll definitely get made fun of. <laughs> But like, yeah, you know, again, I'm thankful for good mentors because uh, the 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 leaderless cult world of different language that you're isolated for not knowing and included for knowing is very weird. The sense that that's weird is oh, yeah. right. Like, that's not a cool way oh, for yeah, things no. to function. It's actually super I'm fucked not, up. And like, yeah, <laughs> the rules for let me be clear. Yes. I hate this. Yes. It's what my whole show is yes. about. <laughs> what I'm saying is. You know, are you the 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 young pre WJA writer right. going to be able to single handedly change no. a culture overnight? No. Can you can you um, be a part of a change of a vibe over time? Absolutely, yes. yes. But I think knowing the culture that you're entering into, I wish I had known more because I would have been more powerful yes. in being able to change it a little for myself at least um because i i've learned in writers rooms you know as i get more advanced in my career i have way more power than i used to i can set the tone even if i'm not the head writer i can very subtly be like yeah we're not doing that in this writers room and i will not tolerate it and there's four of us here so what are you going to do yeah <laughs> you know and i've in a writers room I, for some reason, in writers' rooms, I'm more confident. Um, since the beginning, I've been more confident, and I'm less afraid of coming across as a bitch. <laughs> Even though I know, I'm like, I know that they all think I'm a huge bitch for saying that, but you know what? It's what was correct in the moment, <laughs> or um, it was what was true to me. And if a man was saying it in the same exact tone and same wording, he would not be called a bitch. That's right. You know, I have to remind myself of those those subtleties as well but yeah i mean it's unfortunate that the system is like that and um i think the best type of writer's room does a little bit of ribbing um especially of like the leaders at the network i think that's always a great fun time to do or you know Mm -hmm. some jokes here and there always fun to unite the group and have that like bonding and things like that like but one, you got to limit that. And two, when it comes to um, making fun of each other in a work setting, when it's done with love for real, where it's endearing, you know, the dynamic here um, on my property with Rory and, and Jordan and Scott, and I, we roast each other all the time, but not in the way that you would think a, ro- a celebrity roast right. is. You know, we're, we're making fun of the little in- idiosyncrasies that we love about each other. And, um, you know, nobody ever, it's like, we kind of know each other's soft spots because we know each other. And that's what a good writer's room will get to know each other very quickly and be able to 
you know, yeah, maybe you opened the director's chair wrong, Caitlin, but it was so funny the way you did it. And we all, you know, there's a gentle way to tease each other that ends up ma- expressing love for you yes. is what we're expressing. Yes. Not not um, trying to ostracize you or make you feel inferior. So there's those subtle differences. But. Entirely true. And the particular that particular instant incident, it was true. It's just the sense that you don't know how to unfold the chair and therefore you don't know how to be in that environment. And I do think that's real yeah. as you like, you know, as your professional level grows, like your exposure to a different kind of world. Like, I mean, I well, yeah, it's an interesting class. The professional class, if you're not used to being a part of it in the entertainment world, has rules and regulations. That you just got to learn. And sometimes you learn mm. by looking real dumb. Yeah. Sometimes you learn the hard way when someone yells at you for a rule you didn't know existed or whatever. (laughs) Um, But I, you know, it's, it is incredible how even on very short gigs, you will bond with the other writers so quickly. Uh, I mean, even the Arsenio job, we were, it was a three week total job. Mm -hmm. And at, by the end there had been tears shed. Yeah confessionals about our life's dreams and you know it is like a reality show you know situation where you really get close with people really fast and so that dynamic comes with emotional charge I think and vulnerable moments where you know a good writer's room is where people are safe to be themselves and a bad writer's room is where an ego or rage is involved uh, where bullying is involved and the sooner you can detect what type of writer's room you're in, the, the better it will be I will once again for you direct to a, navigate. Direct us back to the, the wisdom of Paris is burning and learn the difference between reading and shade. That's, I couldn't have been articulated better. <laughs> yeah. I will not attempt to uh, recreate the explanation. I think it is a film best viewed beginning to end frequently, but mm-hmm. uh, learn, how to, learn how to go to the library and, and you'll be better off. Yeah. Well, we've talked for too long, but I thought it was actually just the right just amount right. of time. And the perfect ending. Um, we know all we are perfect in every, every way. way. And I've never if you aired. don't like something that we said, you can truly go fuck yeah, yourself. Yeah, you can suck my raw balls. <laughs> you can just... It's... Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. You can... Judy, my dench, but I know you you say it in a different way. But you can Judy, my dench. I say it in a in a in an aggressive. I let, I, way. I'm not mad at the aggressive connotation, uh, <laughs> but no, it's just go out there and Judy your dentures. Everybody, if you're st- get your Judy denched. That's all I'm saying. If you're still listening, um, and if you're still listening, you probably follow my social media close enough anyway. But just in case you missed it, um, my show going up got canceled this week because of maintenance at the theater. Next week. And that had to be done. But we have rescheduled July 22nd and July 26th. And nothing confirmed yet. But uh, I have already been offered more shows. That's right. At the Elysian. That's how fucking good this show That's is. That's right. The new video is excellent. Grab your tickets. Go to the show. Yeah. Um, you'll get me out to LA. I'll, I'll come and see it. I'll bring the RV. It's just motivation for me to keep doing it. Park right outside the theater. All right. Clear space. Talk to you next time. Ciao.
choose, Alfie or Zan? 